What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Show. It is the flagship show, and I am glad you are here. My name is Marcus Grant, and we are getting ready to take you through a whole madcap hour of fantasy and betting and all sorts of great things uh, to get you ready for week six of the NFL season. Of course, as always, I cannot do it alone. I am joined by my friends, these three married gentlemen, Ian Harditz, Dwayne McFarlane, and Matthew Friedman. Kendall Valenzuela will be along a little bit later, as will Matthew Berry and our own wide receiver one, Showtime Golden Tate. But a whole lot to get to. Uh, Ian, how many cups of coffee have you had so far today? See, Marcus, here's the thing. I judge a cup of coffee by filling up my actual big cup of coffee, but then the doctor says it's actually about the cups of coffee on your actual pot. So who's to really know among us? But I've just heard that, you know, one pot of coffee a day generally keeps said doctor away. So that's my motto. There it is. Uh, look, who knows? Who cares what doctors say? It's all about what you feel in your heart. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we feel in our heart about the upcoming set of games. This is a little segment that we like to call the Crystal Ball. I guess the Fantasy Crystal Ball, if we're being specific. There it is. Those weird, creepy hands coming out from the ether to uh, show you the fantasy crystal ball. We're going to look at some things that may have happened in week five and determine what that means for week six. So let's start with the Cincinnati Bengals because the offense finally came to life last week. Joe Burrow throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Jamar Chase reminding us that he is always effing open. And it looked like things are starting to get going. So, uh, Ian, let's talk about this. I mean, with what we saw in week five, I know it was against the Arizona Cardinals, but does this mean we can count on the Bengals now I'm really back in at least for this week against this you know brutal Seahawks secondary because that is the thing yes it was against the Cardinals but also yes we're now facing the Seahawks this week bottom 10 group in fantasy points per game allowed to QBs and the worst defense in half PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers so Marcus just like from watching what actually happened out there though Burrow looked like a whole new man we even got the, you know the Instagram post after the game him shouting out his own mobility and it was evident throughout the game weeks one through four it was like the first sign of pressure he more or less went down or got the football out of his hands but we saw him hold the football an extra half beat longer this week and accordingly really opened up that downfield passing attack weeks one through four combined we're talking about the guy that only averaged 5.2 yards per attempt on passes thrown at least 10 yards downfield that went all the way up to 10.3 in week five alone two touchdowns on those deeper passes zero in weeks one through four and again he passed the eye test with flying colors so I think we all knew looking at the stats in weeks one through for that they were a bit of a fugazi he was playing through the pain and now that pain has seemingly dissipated also got word from burrow himself that he's feeling closer to 100 so seemingly no t higgins to really make things you know too complicated in the target share category joe burrow jamar chase for me they are back i'm believing I mean, Dwayne, we talk about the way they move the football. And uh, you know, Ian mentioned no T. Higgins last week. Jamar Chase had more than 40% of the targets. But Tyler Boyd did get involved. I mean, so when you see this offense, I mean, how do you see this breaking down? Does Tyler Boyd go back to being kind of third fiddle once T. Higgins is healthy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Boyd is he's a nice third option to have on your team. But when you have T. Higgins and you have Jamar Chase, there's just not a lot left over. We've even seen other guys, you know, like Adam Thielen, suddenly have a renaissance in their career once they're not playing next to who? Justin Jefferson. So for Tyler Boyd, it's just kind of tough. You're playing with two really good wide receivers. If he does happen to miss another game, then I think you can move Tyler Boyd up a little bit in your ranks. You look at him as that high-end wide receiver four, might give you wide receiver three production. Trenton Irwin was the interesting name last week, Marcus. He jumped up to an 82% route participation, had 23% of the targets, actually put up 14 PPR points to finish as the wide receiver 21. So it wasn't even Boyd last week. So he's not a lock. He's one of these guys, like I said, moves into the wide receiver four range, but you're not going out of your way to get him into your lineups. So uh, Trenton Irwin may be a surprise. I think a lot of folks might be chasing the points on that one. We will see. But uh, Friedman, moving forward, you look at the schedule for the Bengals. They've got Seattle this week, then a bye, then a couple of tough ones with the 49ers and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I mean, it seems like the bye coming maybe at the right time. But what are your expectations for this offense over the next few weeks? Yeah, certainly the, the bye is coming at the right time. Good situation for week six. And then after that, you know, the 49ers, that is a tough matchup, but they're not particularly strong in the secondary. It's it's more kind of smoke and mirrors with them. Uh, and so I do think they can do fine in that matchup. And then the Bills, 
as great as they have been, they're now without Tredavious White. So, you know, a matchup that at the beginning of the season looked like it could have been bad in week nine, all of a sudden, not really looking all that bad. So I would expect that we see Burrow continue to improve. Uh, it was really encouraging, not only what he did as a passer, but that he actually was able to take off on a couple of runs last week. I think like that's the real sign that he's feeling better. So I wouldn't say that this Bengals offense is all the way back, but it is certainly trending in the right direction. So the Bengals look like they are putting things together. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bears seem to be on the right track as well. DJ Moore coming off an enormous game, 230 yards and three touchdowns. Justin Fields, uh, the first time he has thrown for four touchdowns in a game. Uh, did that a couple weeks ago against the Denver Broncos. Uh, Ian, is this a thing to stay or is this just happened to be a couple of good matchups for the Bears? The good matchups helped, you know, telling Chase Claypool not to show up in the stadium is helping a little bit, I guess, or at least it's <laughs> correlated to it. I don't know, guys. But in all seriousness, I mean, we got to give some credit to this Bears coaching staff for putting Fields and company in a better position to succeed over these past two weeks because there have been some very serious schematic changes made here. First of all, the shift to play action. I mean, over the first three weeks of the year, just 18% of their dropbacks included play action. That was the eighth lowest rate in the league. But over these past two weeks now, all the way up to 33%, the fifth highest mark in football. And what's the other thing that we see some of the league's best offenses doing? The Dolphins, the 49ers, the Chiefs, pre-snap motion and shifts. Every offense and Bill Belichick's field goal block team is it's a completely embracing motion this year. And accordingly, we saw the Bears really start getting into that over these last two weeks as well. Just a 50% motion rate, good for 20th in the league in the first three weeks, but the weeks, but these last two guys. Freaking 70 plus percent out there. Good for another top eight rate. So yeah, right now the Bears are using fields more in play action and they're moving their weapons around the confused defenses at the snap, all working out into good things for everyone involved. So is fields going to, you know, just completely smash the Bears passing record book this year? Probably not, but we have at least seen that DJ Moore is capable of booming in this offense. And the fact Fields is even putting up these numbers without the benefit of the long touchdown runs is the most surprising part. So QB4 in terms of fantasy points per game on the season, still not completely convinced the passing part of the equation is going to be all that consistent, but Fields very much the upside QB1 you draft them to be. So not the long touchdown runs that we're used to seeing, but Dwayne, I don't think it's a coincidence that this Bears offense started to get better when Justin Fields started running the football more, especially weeks three and five, a lot of design runs for him. Uh, does this continue? Yeah, I think we'll see it continue. Ian did a good job of outlining all the things they've done schematically, but another wrinkle is getting Fields more involved. The more that you can have teams worried about his ability on the ground, it opens up things not only for your other running backs, but it just preoccupies the mind of defenders. And that gives you an opportunity to use some of these other wrinkles and changes they've made with the scheme to provide you with, with just a little bit more room for a guy like DJ Moore, who is the absolute centerpiece to their passing game. The nice thing for Moore here is this is not the same run heavy unit that we saw last year. Even though Justin Fields has a high scramble rate, which turns more passes than not, or more passes than most teams, it will change into run plays instead of passes. We are still seeing them at an average drop back rate over expected. Last year, they really leaned completely into the, into the ground game. So it's a nice blend for both fields and for more because they're throwing the ball enough to support more. That also gives you the upside to see more passing with fields as well. And that's what, that's what we want. That's what ultimately can unlock that number one overall QB season. And I think Fields has that in his range of outcomes. He's definitely shown that. As far as Moore goes, I think you look at him as a high-end wide receiver two the rest of the way, Marcus. Like, maybe he's able to stay in that wide receiver one conversation. You're definitely putting him into all of your lineups, but they're not quite running enough plays right now to support this, even though he is the centerpiece to the offense. So you're still super happy that you drafted DJ Moore. I think you're getting more than, what, than where you drafted him at in your fantasy draft. So he's in all lineups, high-end wide receiver two. Yeah, he's looked really good, especially the last couple of weeks. I think 360-some-odd yards uh, and four touchdowns over his last two games. But, uh, Friedman, this is still an offense that does go as the quarterback goes, and Justin Fields still going to run the football a lot. But are we seeing an offense that maybe looks more like a 21st century offense than what we saw from them last year? Yeah, I mean, I've been super impressed by what we've seen the last two weeks. And in, in the first three weeks, I, I was wondering how long it would be until offensive coordinator Luke Etsy gets fired. Uh, I mean, it, it was looking really bad, but what they've done in the past two weeks, 
does look modern. As you know, Ian mentioned, they're using way more motion. Uh, they are using Justin Fields as more of a designed runner. And like that makes sense because he is one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. And like, what a surprise. Those two things have helped to open up the offense. And the thing is, they will need to have an open offense because their defense is terrible. Just one of the worst units in the league. And so I think that will help force the offense's hand. Well, they will need to pick up the pace, need to continue to think of ways to innovate. And DJ Moore, you know, as great as he has been the past month, and obviously like he's not going to continue to have either 100, yard, 100 yards or a touchdown in every game, right? But for his first five years, with subpar quarterback play, he was still one of the most underappreciated wide receivers in the league in Carolina. So, you know, you saw it with Josh Allen. You know, you get him a number one wide receiver, and all of a sudden, he starts to look like a real legitimate NFL quarterback. And DJ Moore, I mean, as Dwayne said, he's probably not like the elite, like locked-in, high-end wide receiver one, fantasy wide receiver. But in reality... I think he's right up there. I think he's a top 10 real life wide receiver and his addition to the offense should help continue to unlock Justin Fields. So the Bears offense starting to get rolling. Meanwhile, the 49ers have had it rolling for quite some time, especially with Brock Purdy at the quarterback position. And, you know, I think after this past week, uh, you know, people were coming into the week wondering, okay, is Brock Purdy sort of a creation of the Kyle Shanahan offense? And he goes against a very good Dallas defense. And the Niners have a field day moving up and down the field. So now the conversation is about how good Brock Purdy actually is and maybe where the ceiling is. I mean, Ian, when you look at him right now, is he a top 10 fantasy quarterback? Well, he's been a top 12 and, you know, six of his last seven starts out here. So at some point, we're going to have to look at the data we're getting and admit that, yes, even if you don't in your heart of hearts believe he is a top 10 real life talent at the position, style points don't matter in fantasy land. And those receiving yards count just the same, whether it's the courtesy of a 40 yard bomb or courtesy of a dump off that features, you know, multiple broken tackles. So this is hardly the first time we've seen this in the offense. And I'm not trying to slander, you know, Purdy or anything with what he's done. Incredibly impressive. But look at the Jimmy Garoppolo years with the 49ers we spent every single primetime game arguing about just how good he was because the numbers were there the wins were there but our eyes were telling us that they just weren't as responsible for that production as most quarterbacks out there are what's another offense we're seeing that same sort of conversation in with the Miami Dolphins and accordingly guys we have two quarterbacks that are operating on a different plane than everyone else I think thanks in large part to this perfect marriage of a quarterback that knows where to go with the football one of the best play callers in the league and and weapons all over the field. So at the end of the day, two is averaging 9.7 yards per pass attempt. Purdy's at 9.2. Nobody else in the NFL is even over eight. So Dolphins and 49ers, man, playing a different game pretty much than the rest of the NFL at the moment. I'm going to keep trusting pretty much everybody involved in those offenses until we get proven wrong. I mean, it is incredibly deep, that offense that the 49ers have. I mean, George Kittle uh, is a playmaker. He had finally his first real good game of the year. He'd really been silent up until this point in the season. And I guess, Dwayne, to that point, there are so many places to go with the football. Christian McCaffrey is still very much the centerpiece of this offense. You have a defense that's holding the opposition down. Will this, in some weird backwards way, work against Brock Purdy? Will he not have to do a whole lot in fantasy because the guys around him are doing so much? I think Ian nailed it. Like, that's where I was going to take this is like, it's basically, you know, a poor man's version of Tua. And what makes it the poor man's version of what is what you just mentioned, Marcus, they actually have a defense. Right now, the Dolphins defense, even though they made some additions over the last two years, like it's still not one of the top units. So opposing opposing teams can still pour on some of the points and keep some of those, although like the Dolphins get out like to a 30 point lead anyway. So they can they can also be their own worst enemy for some of their players in the fourth quarter. But you do have a better defense here. And the other big factor is it's not a positive drop back rate over expected team. So this is one of the teams that actually, when you look at the 49ers, they want to run the ball more than the league average, pretty much in all game scripts, whether they're leading, whether they're trailing, whether the game's close, they're at a minus 4% right now. And so if you look at the Dolphins, they're at plus 2%. But a lot of the same things that Ian and Friedman hit earlier on around the Bears, those are things that you see with both of these teams. You get lots of motion, lots of play action. These coordinators do a really good job of 
making the defense have to stop and just think that extra second. And that gives the quarterback the advantage. It gives the receiver the advantage. They're putting, they already have some of the best players in the league, right? When you look at the 49ers, you look at the Miami Dolphins, you look at those weapons, like they're pretty comparable. Like those are probably the top two offensive sets of weapons in the NFL. And then when you have a coordinator doing all these things on top of that, and to give the quarterback some credit because they're operating, they're the point guards in the system and they're operating with high accuracy. That's the biggest thing I'll say about Purdy. Man, like the accuracy is truly there. But yes, their success can be the biggest issue because the defense is good enough to hold opponents down. They build these leads in the fourth quarter, and then you don't have to have them keep the foot on the gas. And that that's how you get some of these games where you will get a few duds with Purdy. But overall, the efficiency is so good. Like Ian said, it's hard to argue with it. We just have to come to grips that like this is a borderline QB1 the rest of the way. I mean, look, Sam Darnold coming in in the fourth quarter is really going to hurt Brock Purdy's chances of winning a Heisman Trophy this year. But weirdly, maybe he's a dark horse in the MVP conversation. People have been asking whether or not Christian McCaffrey should be getting consideration for it. I totally believe he can. Uh, but Friedman, I mean, you look at this, should Brock Purdy, uh, maybe even if it's remote, should he at least be getting some love for the MVP award? Absolutely. You know, he's in the top four in MVP odds right now. And there are a few things that have proven, you know, for years over, you know, multiple decades to be predictive of who wins the award, especially now in the quarterback era wins. That's the number one thing, right? Like a guy who is on one of the best teams in the league is going to win this award. And right now the 49ers, if you like, look at the betting market, they're, they're the best team in the league. And they've looked like it. And after that, after wins, you start looking at efficiency stats, adjusted yards per attempt, uh, expected points added. Those are extremely correlated with who wins the award. And Brock Purdy is number one in both. So he's up there. Uh, I, you know, I have a ticket on Brock Purdy from the preseason because I'm out there. Uh, 50 to one to win MVP. I will say I've had a very bad betting season so far. If Purdy wins the MVP, all of that goes away and it it doesn't matter. So I am officially a Brock Purdy fan. It is Brocktober. It's an entire month of celebration in the Friedman household. Uh, and if Christian McCaffrey wins, then fine, because I have an 80 to one ticket on him. So it better be one of those guys. It better be one of those guys. But I think uh, Purdy, what he did against the Cowboys was impressive enough. The question I think for him was he has the efficiency, but he's not getting all the volume stats. We saw him pile up the touchdowns against the Cowboys. If he continues to have more games like that, I think he's locked in for MVP as long as the 49ers win enough games. Well, uh, they certainly have won a lot of games since he has become the starter there. We'll see what happens. But for those about to Brock, we salute you. Uh, We're just getting started here on the Fantasy Life show. We got plenty coming up, including Kendall Valenzuela, who's got a lot of cool stuff going with some uh, underdog picks. We'll get to those and a whole lot more coming up right after this. Of course, we love bringing you all of our news and analysis and opinions here on the Fantasy Live Show. But if you want it in a little bit of a condensed form that you can enjoy over your morning tankard of coffee, go to FantasyLife.com and sign up for the Fantasy Life newsletter. You can do it for the low, low price of free 99 And every single morning, you will get everything you need to know in a quick, easy form right in your inbox. So if you haven't already, please join the thousands of people uh, who are part of our community and sign up for the newsletter. So you can trust that we will give you the best opinions that we can here. But there are things about which you may have some trust issues. Brand new segment where maybe we are side-eyeing a few things or a few players or a few situations, and we talk about how much we may have faith in some of those guys. So let's start in Indianapolis, where the Colts didn't want to pay Jonathan Taylor up until the point they wanted to pay Jonathan Taylor. And by then, Zach Moss was playing really, really well. So now we got to figure out what's happening with the Indianapolis backfield. So Ian, Can we trust Jonathan Taylor? I mean, he's getting a bunch of money. He's a really talented guy, but there's a guy there who's playing some good football right now. 
I'll say, I mean, look, I think JT is a perfectly fine backup for uh, Zach Moss. Seems like a lot of money uh, for me to go that route. But <laughs> now, in all seriousness, I mean, we did get some reports out of uh, Colts' this camp today. And by reports, I mean Shane Steichen himself just saying that they are planning on ramping up Jonathan Taylor this week and moving forward. But at the same time, guys, like, will that ramp up actually include Jonathan Taylor getting what has suddenly become one of the most fantasy-friendly roles in all of football? Because right now, Moss is the RB9 in terms of expected PPR points per game at a rate that actually eclipses what Jonathan Taylor was getting fed last season. And also, unlike past seasons when Naeem Hines was a natural scat back complement to Jonathan Taylor's early down prowess, Moss and Taylor have a bit more of an overlapping skill set than I think people are giving credit for. So honestly, man, this could be a situation where Taylor probably hovering a bit closer to that RB2 line than the top 10 just jam them in that we're used to seeing as long as Moss is going to stay this involved. And to Moss's credit, I mean, he has earned the right to be involved. He's one of the best running backs in the league in terms of missed tackles force per carry, averaging five yards per clip. I mean, he just went up against that juggernaut Titans run defense and made it look like they weren't even there. So you can blame the bad defensive performance. You can say the offensive line has a ton to do with this. But regardless, guys, really tough for me to see Moss taking a complete backseat in this offense anytime soon, as long as he keeps playing as well as he has been. I mean, Dwayne, we talked a couple weeks ago about utilization and that if the Colts were going to give Jonathan Taylor that same, you know, 80, 90 percent of snaps and 80, 85 percent of the rushing attempts, that JT was going to be the runaway number one running back. But it appears that that's just not going to happen. I mean, how do you see this thing over the long term shaking out? Yeah, I think JT eventually will be back in the running back one conversation. Just those dreams that we were having not too long ago because of the role that Ian just talked about. Like it's the most friendly role in fantasy right now, besides maybe Kyron Williams and what we see from CMC. That's how good it's been for Zach Moss. So I don't think Taylor's going to get to that range. And why would they want to put that much on the guy? They just paid $45 million. They're going to want him to last a little bit. So I think that will be the plan. I will say this. Zach Moss has not been a good running back for his entire career. Do we really suddenly believe that everything has changed for Zach Moss? It's pretty hard for him to probably continue on this pace. So I think we will see this production from him also probably slow down, and that's going to open the door for JT to maybe get 65 67, 68% of the workload in Indianapolis. And that will be enough to make him a running back one. That would put him in the, I would say, We'll be ranking inside the top six within the next two to three games. This week, like Ian said, it is tougher. I have him as a borderline running back two, or I'll call it a low-end running back two. When I'm sitting here looking at my ranks, it's like, I'm still going to go ahead and force him in over names like Ramondre Stevenson, Alexander Madison. But that's kind of the range he's in because we don't know exactly what the split will look like, even though we've got encouraging words from the coaches. And we've got a matchup that isn't necessarily great. When you look at the Jags, they only give up 82.2 yards per game on the ground in regulation. That's the fifth least in the NFL. So they've been pretty good in that area. Now, Last week, we did see the Colts, like Ian said, just destroy the Titans, who really were the best run defense that we've seen over the last like 18 months in football. So there's always a chance like they could just blow up. But I think it's best right now to treat JT as that low end RB2. I do think he's a guy you want to go trade for, though. If for some reason someone in your league is like, oh, my God, like Moss is too good now. And like he's just not going to ever be able to take over the backfield. I don't know that that person exists in your league. He doesn't in mine. So if you're yelling at the TV right now, you can stop. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but it's definitely the kind of player you want to kick the tires on. Well, let's get to the, the real question. I mean, this is called trust issues. So we're going to find out, can we trust Jonathan Taylor? And it looks like, hey, it's universal. We all trust Jonathan Taylor. So um, talent, I guess, wins out in the end, as does a big fat paycheck, which he is now earning. All right, let's get over to Tennessee and talk about Derrick Henry because the king is still the king until somebody knocks him off. But Tajay Spears sort of hanging around that throne a little bit. I mean, Ian, when you look at El Tractor Cito, he is still the running back one there for the Titans. But are you worried that Spears is closing the gap quite a bit? Yeah, I mean, the early returns certainly haven't been ideal. And to be fair to Henry, I mean, he is kind of used to having these slow starts to the season. I mean, historically, you know, September, he's at 3.9 yards per carry, October 4.5. And then right when it starts becoming that much, you know, more painful to go try to tackle that man, he goes well over five yards per carry in November and December. So again, the slow start from a rushing standpoint isn't anything all that crazy. And we've kind of seen him sag off a little bit in the yards per carry department anyway over the years. But yeah, with Tajay, 
Spears really taking a stranglehold on this pass down work in addition to actually factoring into some of the run game stuff. It's absolutely concerning and it really is just a culmination of the Titans trying to find this sort of compliment for Derrick Henry. I mean, we used to make fun of Matt LaFleur back in 2017 before he went to Green Bay about the splits between Henry and Deion Lewis. But even since then, they've tried to find that other guy, whether it was Darrington Evans as a day two pick, whether it was Dontrell Hilliard last year, or whether it was this year, Tajay Spears in the third round. They've looked and they have finally found, I think, that spark plug they're looking for. So with Spears, again, going to be tough for him to take this role or anything like that. I mean, don't get it twisted. The big dog is still the man in Tennessee as long as he's able to suit up. But in terms of Henry still having, you know, that 2,000 yard, that top three overall ceiling, I do think those days are gone as long as Spears is going to be taking, again, a large chunk of this pass work and factoring into the run game equation. Throw in an overall mediocre Titans offense and one of the worst offensive lines Henry's had to play behind. And hey, guys, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world after we get one of those, you know, Derrick Henry 100 plus yards in the touchdown games that we know will be here before too long. Maybe consider selling high on someone who might not have the most to play for by the time, you know, December rolls around for a change. So, I mean, Spears getting a lot of that passing game work, Dwayne, and I know you like to focus on guys, especially who get a lot of the two-minute work, and he's getting a ton of that, nearly all of that so far in the Titans offense. Um, is that enough, say, in deeper leagues to give Spears some standalone value? Yeah, I think if you're in a deeper league, especially once the bye weeks get here, I mean, we've got some weeks coming up where there are a lot of teams off. So he could he could manage to get into your flex in a game like that. But we like the two-minute offense because that's whenever a player like Austin Eckler goes from having four or five points, you're like, oh, my God, I'm losing my matchup today. You look up, and you're like, wow, Austin Eckler gave me 18 points. That's because he caught five balls for 50 yards and scored a touchdown on the drive because the opposing defense decided they were just going to play shell coverage and not give away the big play. So that's all in range for Spears. I do. I think I'm a little more worried about Henry than Ian. I do agree that he typically has these slow starts, but the overall offense for the Titans has really, it's really changed over the last couple of years, no matter what kind of game script they were in Marcus, they always wanted to run the ball this year. Their drop back rate over expected, which, which accounts for the score in the game is neutral. We've not seen that from Mike Vrabel in over three seasons. So that had always protected Derrick Henry, no matter what kind of game script the Titans ended up in, he was still going to have his chance to get 17, 18, 19 rushing attempts, even on a bad day. That's not been the case this year, and it's just creating much more variance in his performances. So we've already had two contests where he didn't even get to 14 rushing attempts, and that has to do with the way that the Titans are now running their offense because they have defensive struggles. I think they know they can't play the same brand of football that they were playing previously and hope to just squeak out games. They're going to have to open things up a little bit. That also does play into Tajay Spears's. Um, you know, into his skill set because that gets him on the field a little bit more. I think Spears is probably like if I had to pick one running back handcuff right now, I would want to have on my team. I think he's the top one between the deterioration we've seen with Derrick Henry, the age he's at, all the carries he's got with what we've seen from Spears and how good he's been, the way the Titans are running the offense. I think he has a lot of outs. So if you can find a way, if he's available in your league to get him on your bench, I think it's a great move. I mean, Friedman, taking sort of a long view of this, how much of Derrick Henry's viability is tied to the Titans staying in competition? I mean, the AFC South right now, everybody's sort of bunched together. Nobody is completely out of it. But if the Titans were to fall back, could that signal a change in what they're doing in the backfield? Yeah, conceivably, uh, because in that situation, they would maybe want to see a little bit more of what they have with Tajay Spears uh, gauge the potential for him actually being a lead back. Uh, and in that scenario, I mean, hey, we have the trade deadline coming up in a little bit. I doubt things get desperate enough before them where they actually trade Derrick Henry before the deadline. Uh, in that situation, you imagine they're trading him to a contender and all of a sudden he becomes much more valuable. I doubt we actually see that. So I think the the theoretical scenario of like upside with Derrick Henry, if things go bad, uh, for the Titans. I don't think that really exists. I think it's basically just downside for Derrick Henry if things go really bad for the Titans. And I'll say, you know, this is a team that I haven't been super impressed with to this point in the year. Like they're always in games, they're always competing, but they're not competing all that well, which means that Derrick Henry, he doesn't have quite the same floor that he used to have. And that makes him 
a little bit risky. He's still an RB1, but he's just not that RB1 with like weak winning upside. The trade deadline is set for Halloween, so a little bit less than three weeks away. And I'm with you. I don't think the Titans are going to fall back so far in the next three weeks that they're going to look to make a deal on that. So let's answer the question. Do we trust Derrick Henry? And I fear that uh, – Friedman, you – An asterisk. uh, I trust him with an asterisk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so Friedman still sort of believes the rest of us, we have concerns. Speaking of concerns, there's the New England Patriots, and a lot of folks are concerned. Here's the thing. I think a lot of America is not really all that concerned that Patriots fans are frustrated and sad because their team is not playing well because we had two decades of them uh, sort of lording it over us. But for fantasy, we are concerned that the main asset we all banked on, Ramondre Stevenson, has been a major disappointment so far. And I mean, Ian, when you look at this, are there any easy answers to get Stevenson going? Sadly, I don't really think so, man. I mean, you look at the injury report last week and he was questionable with a thigh issue, but that can only really explain week five because he wasn't even listed on the report in weeks one through four. So honestly, I think a big part of this has just been the Patriots offense as a whole really underwhelming. I mean, to start the year, they had a nice performance against the Eagles. And I think we all kind of expected the Eagles secondary to be better. But as it's kind of gone on, we found out that's one of their weaknesses. So otherwise, guys, I mean, you can blame the schedule, Eagles, Dolphins, Jets. That's Cowboys Saints. It's not easy, but they aren't the only team to have a tough schedule, and they are the only team to rank dead last in scoring this year. I mean, I don't know if it's Twitter or Kraft or Patriots Nation, but we owe Matt Patricia some apologies, guys. The amount of slander that that guy took this <laughs> entire offseason and just the entire idea that's simply putting Bill O'Brien in that offensive coordinator role just five weeks into the year, but it has been a miserable experience to start. So, again, tough to blame any one party. Like, I don't think Stevenson's missing wide open, you know, holes I don't think Mac Jones is necessarily just having a ton of open wide receivers to get the ball to collectively a massive problem and accordingly it's made Ramondre Stevenson one of the least efficient running backs in all of football I mean we're talking dead last in yards after contact per carry not much better in the other rushing metrics we want to look at so as much as we want to like bemoan you know a wash Zeke for taking away his touches Zeke has really made more out of his opportunities than Stevenson in the same offensive environment this year so really didn't think those were words would be leaving my mouth uh, you know in the middle of the 2023 season but here we are it is not a great day to be great in new england right now so they got the raiders this week that's a much more winnable matchup truly truly fire up those you know panic alarms if they can't get anything going this week i mean Dwayne, one of the things we kept holding on to with Ramondre is hey he's gonna get work in the passing game that hasn't really happened i mean just, where have the targets gone for Ramondre this year I don't know because there's no one on this offense to target. I feel like they should still be going to Ramondre Stevenson, so I can't <laughs> explain this. Now, we caveated Ramondre Stevenson's target earning ability this preseason and talked about he's not one of these guys like an Eckler or a CMC that's integrated into like being like the second read, you know, where it's like you got a high low read, you got like a, a tight end running down the seam, and then here comes somebody behind him on an angle route like Ramondre. That, that's not his game. His game is more of, Kind of a swing pass guy, but very reliable. You go through your first two reads, nobody's there. And he can get down the field, be a little bit of a mismatch at times. So we didn't necessarily think like this was going to be a guy that would challenge Austin Eckler for targets. But we definitely thought he was better than this. He had a 26% targets per route run last year. We just talked about how bad the offense still really is from a weaponry standpoint. And then when you look at his the year before that, he was at a 21% targets per route run. So that's kind of what I put his floor at was being this decent target earner with a ceiling to be a really good target earner. And to your point, Marcus, it has just not come to fruition. Only a 14% targets per route run. And now, because his performance has been so bad, talking about the efficiency that Ian was just hitting on, only 3% of his carries have gone for 10 plus yards, 1.8 yards after contact. It's honestly befuddling. This is a 25-year-old running back. This is not a 29-year-old running back with you know a ton of carries on his body. But because he's playing so bad all around, they're just taking him off the field. Zeke is seeing more and more of the work. I don't particularly think Zeke looks that good. But to Ian's point, he looks better than Ramondre right now, which is like really all that coaching (laughs) staff has to go on. But last week, we saw a season low, Marcus, in snaps, 51%. Rushing attempts, 44%. 
route participation only 45%. Now to Ian's point, he was on the injury report last week. He did fumble in the game, so those things can factor in. It's sometimes tough to like read these situations. We could see him with a little bit of a bounce back. But man, if he's not injured, I don't know how to explain this. Like I actually put this out on Twitter to try to, you know, other people that are huge Patriot fans see if maybe they knew more than what we know because sometimes you know there's the inside scoop going on and, and we may not be able to find everything. And they're just, there's not a good explanation for what's going on with Ramondre Stevenson, but you have to downgrade him for now. Um, I would say he's a guy like I would buy low on, but when I say buy low, I mean buy super low. Like you might trade like Ian's favorite position, a kicker to go get Ramondre Stevenson. <laughs> uh, Friedman, Ian mentioned that the Raiders are next up on the schedule for the Patriots. And last week, the equally inefficient A.J. Dillon was still able to run for 76 yards against Las Vegas, which is significantly more than anything Ramondre's had on the ground in a game. Would this be a get right spot for him? I mean, in theory, it's a get right spot to the extent that I have him ranked, <laughs> you know, as a low end RB2. Um, I, it's interesting, you know, what, what Dwayne said there that, you know, we didn't see him get all that much usage, usage last week. But, you know, that comes with the caveat of he did have the thigh injury and he did fumble. You know, I would expect him to get more than 10 opportunities. That's what he had last week. Before that, you know, he was very comfortably in like the 16 to 20 opportunity per game range. So if he ends up getting back to that and he's going against, as you mentioned, a Raiders defense that has been pretty bad to this point, we could see Ramondre Stevenson have an RB1 type of performance, but he has been so inefficient and it's not just the offensive line, which has been injured and bad. It is the inefficiency of his inability to break tackles. So that is highly concerning. But for this week, maybe it's a bounce back spot. But he has to get back to the volume that he had in weeks one through four and not the volume he had in week five. Well, uh, after the Raiders, they got a matchup with the Bills. I don't know if this is a last chance situation for Ramondre, but a lot of folks starting to get to the end of their rope uh, with this Patriots offense in general. So the question becomes, do we trust Ramondre Stevenson? I have a good sense of how this is going to go. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Mondre. Uh, it's not necessarily your fault, but you're also not really helping the situation. So uh, we are, at least for the moment, out on Ramondre Stevenson. Two guys that we are not out on, though, Matthew Berry and Golden Tate. They're going to stop by and talk about Justin Jefferson, the injury situation in Minnesota, and what this means for both fantasy and real football going forward. Thanks, Marcus. Now, a lot of great stories in fantasy football so far this year, Golden Tate, but there's one that, well, isn't, and that is the news that Justin Jefferson, the best player in fantasy football, the consensus number one overall pick this year, best wide receiver in our game is going to go on the injured reserve for at least four games. Vikings announcing that earlier this week. Now, here's the concern. 26%, like 26.5% to be exact, of the Vikings targets go to Justin Jefferson. Literally over a fourth of their pass attempts go to number 18. And so a massive target share is avail available for the Vikings as they try to make do without Justin Jefferson. Here's how I break it down. Obviously, Jordan Addison, he's going to get a big uh, uptick, as is their star tight end, TJ Hawkinson. I think you'll certainly see KJ Osborne have to take another big step. He's already playing 91% of the snaps. He's tied for the team lead in red zone targets. He's had 15 career games with six or more targets, and in those games, he's averaging 15.5 fantasy points per game. So when KJ Osborne has gotten some looks, He's been productive, and certainly that's the expectation when you think about this Vikings offense, which struggles to run the ball, and the fact is they're often playing from behind because their defense has struggled so much this year. Brian Flores sending so much pressure. He blitzes all the time, and I don't know that you should be blitzing because he hasn't so far shown that he's got the, the depth there to keep up with other guys. They're giving up a lot of big plays. As a result, Kirk Cousins having to throw a ton. It's going to be Osborne. It's going to be uh, Jordan Addison. It's going to be DJ Hawkinson as part of the passing attack. We'll see if they get Cam Akers, a nice pass catcher, involved a little bit more. Golden, here's my question as somebody who was an all-pro and a Super Bowl winning wide receiver in the NFL. We've now seen five games from Jordan Addison as a rookie. 
talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from him in terms of his development as a wide receiver. And can he, like, he's suddenly now thrown to the fire. Is he somebody that you think can step up and be the alpha on a pass-first offense like the Minnesota Vikings? I, I think he's closer to being ready than we believe he is. Um, obviously, he came out firing first two games of the season, just lighting it up, catching balls down the field. Um, I, the only thing I worry about with the young guys is do they completely know the verbiage and how to be a pro, really? Um, and so it, I think it's up to like the, the offensive coordinators and and Kirk to work with them and help them out. But I would just simply leave him alone. Let him be the F and in, in three three uh, receiver sets, and then potentially looking to make him in the Z in two receiver sets because you want him on the field. Um, so if he's on the field, I think he's going to make some plays. And I just worry that the information part of it is is too much. But athletically um, and how he deciphers the game, I've been impressed with him. Um, I just want to see a consistent uh, Jordan Addison uh, moving forward, especially with Justin Jefferson out. And like, if you're any receiver, not Justin Jefferson, you're thinking, okay, this is opportunity. This is where I can make some money. This is where I can cement my place on this squad. And I believe myself that I can hold it down while Justin Jefferson is gone. Now, obviously, J Justin Jefferson is a gener generational talent. We hope he's back sooner rather than later. But you even mentioned it earlier. Uh, depending on how this season goes, Matthew, Justin Jefferson might not be coming back on that field anytime soon, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a chance the, the Vikings are currently 1-4 and four as they head to Chicago this week. Then they play San Francisco. Then they're at Green Bay. Then they're at Atlanta. So think about that. Of their next four games, three are on the road, and their one home game is against the 49ers, which for my money is the best team in the NFL. And they've got to go all four of those games without Justin Jefferson at a minimum, even if they split those four games. And I think that's a stretch because at Chicago, at Atlanta, at Green Bay, none of those are gimmies. Even if they split those games, they're three and six heading into the bye. And the way the Lions are playing, I don't know. You know, they may say to themselves, look, it's not our year. They're not necessarily committed to Kirk Cousins beyond this season. They may say, hey, New York Jets, what do you give us for Kirk Cousins? And by the way, Justin Jefferson, you just you take your time getting back because we're looking at a draft with Caleb Williams and Drake May and a lot of elite quarterbacks out there um, as well. So it'll be interesting to see if and when Justin Jefferson makes his way back. But we know for a minimum he's missing four games. I want to talk a little bit more about rookie wide receivers, though, because Jordan Addison now has an opportunity to be the number one wide receiver on one of the better passing offenses in the NFL. He could be, we use this term a lot, I think it's overused in fantasy, but he could be a quote-unquote league winner. We saw this last year with, you know, you think about Christian Watson down the stretch. We, we've seen some of these rookie wide receivers sort of explode on the scene. Think about Garrett Wilson down the stretch, Chris Olave last year as well. Think about Amon Ross St. Brown rookie year and his second half of the season. So we've seen these rookie wide receivers, especially over the second half of the year, once they get up to NFL speed, they learn the verbiage to your point. They understand what it takes to be a professional wide receiver in the National Football League. And so I'm curious, Jordan, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm curious, Golden, other than Jordan Addison, are there any rookie wide receivers out there that have caught your eye that you think, you know what? These are guys that need to be on rosters that fantasy managers should stash for the second half because I could see them making a significant impact. Yeah, my, my two favorites I would say I've really been impressed with is Zay Flowers. He's probably one of my he's one of my favorite young guys in the game right now. He's quick, he's fast, he's smart, um, he's reliable for the most part. I know he had a had a drop last game. Um, but I, I really like the way he moves in the offense. And I just I, I like that he's always gonna have an opportunity to get the ball because you know Lamar Jackson gets can throw it in the pocket, he gets outside of the pocket. And with these routes where if I'm if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm just trying to do rub routes, drive routes. I'm trying to set set him up to get the ball in his hands quick and just let him go. So he's one guy I really enjoy watching, and I'm you want him to continue to, to improve and and not uh, feel like he's completely figured it out. Um, and then another one is Rashi Rice. Um, you know, for this year he's gone. He, he's had 17 catches for 173 yards and two touchdowns. Um, arguably the number one wide receiver. Now, obviously, uh, Kelsey is a tight end, but serves as a receiver. But I, I see him as a guy who can flourish in an offense. And then on top of that, you got the MVP of the entire league um, throwing you the ball. 
Um, so that one could just keep getting better and better and better. I love I love Rashi Rice. There's there's no question about that. I think those are great calls. Zay Flowers, I think, is already the number one wide receiver for it'll get better, Baltimore fans. I promise you, what should be by the end of the year one of the better offenses in the NFL with Lamar Jackson, the Ravens. And you mentioned Rasheed Rice, just to give you some stats that back up what you're seeing on the field. He already leads the team in red zone targets. It's not Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice leads the Kansas City Chiefs in red zone targets. He's been targeted on over 36% of his routes this year. I mean, earning a tar earning targets is a skill in the NFL, Golden, as you well know. And so we need to get him more routes run, but when he's running a route, he's earning a target on 36% of them, which is a very high rate. That leads all players that have a minimum of 20 targets. And so, yeah, as there hasn't really been any wide receiver that has stepped up to say, I can be the next Tyreek Hill in this offense, and I'm not saying Rasheed Rice is Tyreek Hill, but Mahomes and Rice worked out in the offseason. He went to his general manager. He went to the front office, Patrick Mahomes did, and say, get me Rasheed Rice, which they did. You always like to have the quarterback's trust. So I like Rasheed Rice down the stretch. I'll give you another couple of quick names. Speaking of quarterbacks that went to vouch for a wide receiver saying, hey, please draft this guy for me. That's what C.J. Stroud did with the Texans management and Tank Dell. And we've already seen some flashes from Tank Dell, but there's a connection there between Stroud and Dell. Dell is net, you know, he went to school in Houston. Now he's playing pro ball in Houston. C.J. Stroud, when I interviewed him at the NFLPA rookie premiere, told me that like Tank Dell's the guy that's been driving him around, showing him in Houston, like, here's where the good restaurants are. Here's where you get your dry cleaning done. You know, like, so they're, they're buddies off the field as well. You already see a connection here. Um, uh, I think, you know, Quentin Johnson is sort of the obvious one uh, as the Chargers come off the bye with the injury to Mike Williams. He's out for the year. I think that's a name that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll give you two other names that uh, I really like. How about Marvin Mims? Again, somebody that needs more snaps, but every time he's out there, I feel like he makes a play. And there have been rumors already that the Broncos have gotten some calls about Cortland Sutton, about Jerry Judy. They were rumored to be on the trade block this offseason. So if one of them gets moved or just as this, the Broncos season starts looking towards next year and they need to get Mims more work, remember Sean Payton drafted this guy in the second round. So um, he's got some draft capital with Sean Payton, with the current regime, I do like Marvin Mims' skill set quite a bit. I think he's somebody that can make an impact over the second half. And just, this is a little bit for deeper leagues, but how about Josh Downs, the slot receiver for the Indianapolis Colts? In games in which Gardner Minshew has played, Josh Downs has a 25% target share. So there's definitely a connection between Minshew and Downs, and we'll wait to see how long Anthony Richardson misses, but it's clear that he's going to miss some time. Minshew's going to be under center for the Colts, and as they look for a complimentary wide receiver to Michael Pittman, I think Josh Downs can be that guy, especially in PPR leagues. Any of those names that I just threw out to you, Golden, kind of uh, perk your ears up? Yeah, well, one that we did mention is Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mm, I yeah. like the talent. I love the speed. I love the agility. Um, and I'm just, I keep waiting week in and week out for him to be, have that big breakout uh, day. Uh, he's a guy that I think you can just get him the ball anywhere on the field and just let him go. And he's elusive. And I'm kind of surprised I'm not seeing any of that um, so far. Now it is a long season and a lot, a lot can happen. Maybe he's, I'm still trying to figure it all out, how to be a pro, how to do certain things. And, um, you know, hopefully it's coming. But, I mean, out of that list, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba is kind of the one I would have predicted that would be destroying things this year out of all these guys. A lot of people had JSN as their number one rated wide receiver coming out of college just on a pure skill standpoint. Obviously, a lot of mouths to feed in Seattle. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, they're not going anywhere. Pete likes to run. Uh, run first as well. But, you know, they were on a bye this week, so maybe out of the bye, you know, a week off to sort of set, uh, you know, set some expectations. JSN missed some uh, training camp, obviously, with a wrist injury. So maybe now he's a little bit more ingrained in the offense because there's no question his talent is off the chart. It just remains to be seen. Can he generate some opportunities over the second half of the year? All right, Golden, always fun to talk wide receivers with you. Uh, we will do this again next week. But for now, Golden, me and you send it back. Marcus Grant. Time to get into some predictions, and uh, we're gonna have a whole bunch of folks helping us out with that. But first, if you want some things to help you out with predictions, be sure to go and sign up for the Betting Life newsletter. It lands in your inbox three times a week, Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. And again, 
That one's for the low, low price of free 99. So go sure, be sure to go and check that out. In the meantime, Matthew Friedman is here, as he always is, with some of his best bets for the week. Let's start with the game in London. Ravens-Titans. We spent a long time talking about Derrick Henry, but how do you feel about the Titans overall this week? Yeah, I mean, as disgusting as it is, I do kind of like the Titans. And I should say, there are a number of games this week that uh, I might theoretically like more than some of the ones I'm about to mention, but there are injury issues, weather issues. So we want to just wait a little bit before betting on those so we can get more information. But with the Titans, this is, an, I think, an ugly type of matchup against the Ravens. I don't think they've looked all that good under Mike Vrabel, uh, but they have a propensity to play and to win ugly games. And those are the kind of games that the Ravens have recently lost. And as an underdog, of at least a field goal. Mike Vrabel is 25-12-1 against the spread for his career, and I don't think this Ravens defense is actually all that good. They've played two rookie quarterbacks making their first NFL starts, an injured Joe Burrow, a backup Gardner Minshew, and an underwhelming Kenny Pickett. So the Ravens, their statistics look good, but I don't think their defense is actually as good as it has been. All right, Baltimore fans, uh, Matthew Friedman just called your defense frauds. Uh, next up, a matchup in the NFC West between the Cardinals and the Rams. And look, we talked about the Cardinals at the beginning of the season like they were a D2 team, but uh, they have played surprisingly well. So how are you feeling about that game? Yeah, feisty is the adjective that uh, I think fits the the Cardinals. I like the Rams, but laying seven points feels like a lot for a team that has the league's worst all-time home field advantage in a defense that is number 27 in DVOA. And if you look at these relative offenses going against the defenses, they basically have the same edge. So I'm not saying that these two teams are the same. The Rams should be favored, but both teams have roughly the same offensive edge against, you know, mediocre at best defenses. So seven points is a lot for a divisional matchup. I will take the road underdog, especially considering that road teams have done really well this year with the continued degradation of home field advantage. And then we got the Monday night game, the Cowboys heading down the coast from the Bay Area to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. We will pick that game straight up a little bit later on in this segment. But uh, against the number, what are you thinking about between the, the Bolts and the boys? Yeah, got to go with the Chargers here. I originally bet this at plus three on the look ahead. I still like it at plus two and a half. The Chargers are coming off of the bye. They're at home. And when they entered the bye, they were pretty injured. But I expect them to be close to fully healthy coming out of it. And they play on Monday Night Football, so they have 15 days to prepare. And specifically, offensive coordinator Kellen Moore going against his former team in the hashtag revenge game. He has 15 days to prepare for this. These are ideal circumstances for the Chargers. Compare that to the Cowboys, who are playing their second consecutive West Coast game. Uh, and they elected not to stay out in California. I think they really would have benefited from a high-focused mini-camp type of environment after a tough loss to the 49ers. But they decided to travel back to Texas only to turn around and fly back to California, even though their training camp is in Oxnard, California, which is just an hour away from SoFi Stadium. So like the Cowboys, even the simple things don't come easy for the Cowboys. This is just a straight up situational play. I think this should be closer to a pick -em, So I will take the Chargers at plus two and a half. Mentioned Kellen Moore. Revenge is a dish best served with street tacos. Uh, we'll see what happens between the Chargers and the Cowboys in this one. In the meantime, let's get a little bit weird with some just teasing. Still trying to figure out if that is, is that like a DVD that you guys are wrestling over? I haven't figured it out uh, in all these weeks. But uh, Ian Harditz, Matt Friedman, you guys uh, put together a little teaser for us this weekend, right? Yeah, I didn't take the Cowboys this time. So I think that's going to be, you know, already a better start than uh, last week, how that went down. But guys, America loves the comebacks. So let's get right back to it. I'm going to go ahead and tease down the Rams from seven point favorites because I agree with Freeman. That does seem a little high, but getting that down to just one point, I do think at the end of the day, having such a large quarterback advantage in Matthew Stafford over Joshua Dobbs, who, hey, we have tried to give Dobbs, you know, his flowers on the Fantasy Life podcast and everything. But end of the day, healthy Cooper Cup. Who 
Puka Nakua coming into his own. Really do believe that Stafford and the league's eighth ranked offense in EPA per play does deserve to be ranked near the top of the league in terms of doing what they do best, and that is scoring points. So yeah, we don't have exactly the most dominant Rams defense in the world, but honestly, anytime we got Aaron Donald out there, I think they have a chance to keep things minimal damage-wise on that side of the football. So only gave up 23 points to the Eagles last week, and at the risk of you know doing too much this team versus that team, when we saw the Rams lose to the 49ers and Bengals versus the Cardinals lose to those squads, much closer, much more competitive matchups with the Rams. So I think the Rams are a better team, getting this down just to one point, sign me up. I like the commanders here. I will take them at plus two and a half, going to plus eight and a half with the six point teaser. And, you know, with that number, we get through the key number three, we get through seven and we even get through eight, which is increasingly an important number now that more teams are going for two, not that Riverboat Ron would ever consider doing that, but maybe, maybe. So we get through eight and get to eight and a half. And I got to say, this Falcons team, you know, it is a passing league, even though the Falcons kind of don't want it to be. They're number 22 in offensive pass DVOA, number 29 in defensive pass DVOA. If a team struggles to pass and to defend the pass, I think it's going to be hard for them to win by more than a touchdown. So I do like uh, the, the Washington Commanders in this spot who, even though I don't think they're that good of a team. They're still at least throwing the ball more than any other team in the league. And I think that will help keep them in this game. You mentioned Riverboat Ron. I think somebody on Twitter pointed out that he got that nickname like 10 years ago because he had the gall to go for it on fourth and two from the opponent's 40-yard line. And somehow it has stuck with him, even though now that's just the thing that everybody does. So uh, we will see how this turns out. But uh, there's a teaser between Ian and Friedman. And, uh, you know, please play responsibly. In the meantime... Kendall Valenzuela is here, and she's got some underdog picks that she's going to go through. I know you got a whole lot of interesting here, and maybe, just maybe, we can get Friedman to maybe take an over, possibly? That's what I'm saying, Marcus. My whole goal today is to get Matthew Friedman to take an over, but don't worry, I have made sure that it's not like the week where I came in before, where this is all hires. Uh, so we're going to work on that. Don't worry. First one I want to go to, guys, though, is this Rams-Arizona Cardinals game, and Ian, I kind of want to throw this one to you because I want to get your thoughts on Kyron Williams here 56 and a half rushing yards I'm thinking that we might like the higher on this one I'm with you. I'm not Freeman. Life is too short to be playing that <laughs> under. So I'm going to be taking the higher on this one with Kyron Williams. He is the only running back in the entire NFL, guys, with a snap rate north of 80%. And accordingly, we've seen him just have the lion's share of both targets and rush attempts in this offense. So already talked a lot about the reasons why I like the Rams to win this game. Seven-point favorites at home. That is the sort of game script we should be looking for when trying to assess rushing yards props like this one. So again, a big fan of just the opportunity that's going to be on the table for Kyron in this one. I know he's only hit this mark one of five games this year, but when you look at him having the bad play, the Eagles, the 49ers, some legit juggernaut front sevens, don't think he's going to have that on the other side of the ball this week. Give me higher. There we go. That's what I like to hear. First first one off the off the board, and we like to go higher there. Dwayne, I want to throw this next one to you, and I want to go to Lamar Jackson. Baltimore at Tennessee Titans on Sunday. I think this is going to be an interesting game. I think we can all agree that probably last week they should have won that game. So I want to look at Lamar Jackson right here, though, and talk about his 42 and a half rushing yards. I know that on our projections, I think he's projected for 65.8. Uh, you can look through the past three weeks, and it's kind of been up and down for him rushing wise I know we've got Todd Munkin the new offensive coordinator things are still trying to come together for this offense but what do you think about the rushing yards here and going higher than 42 and a half yeah I really like taking the higher here I think there's so many numbers that stack up in Lamar's favor in this example so you've got 63 yards per game that's his career average this year he's averaging 53 yards per game he has hit this number three out of five games and then you look at the matchup. At first, it looks tough. It's the Tennessee Titans. They actually rank pretty well against opposing rushing um, units, but they like to run a lot of man coverage. They run the fifth most man coverage in the league, and that is when Lamar can really make you pay with his legs because he is the number one scrambler in the league. 11% of his dropbacks turn into a scramble. He's also highly engaged in the design run game. He's third in the league in that capacity at 20%. So he's going to get his opportunities. And I think it's only going to take one run 
from a scramble this week that's going to kind of break this number wide open. And I think we see him much closer to what we've seen from Lamar over the last four seasons where he's around 64 to 65 rushing yards per game. All right. I love it. So now we're two for two on going higher. So of course we have to finish off with Matthew Friedman. I made this one special for you just to see what you would like here, but I want to go to new Orleans going up against Houston. And I want to know your thoughts on the, on, on this right here for 216 and a half passing yards, higher or lower. I'm, I'm thinking you would like the lower, but you could, you could surprise us here. Uh, I'm embarrassed. I want to go in and manually adjust my projections. Uh, I'm higher. <laughs> I have this at 231. Yes. Uh, so I, I will I'll take the higher here. I don't really even want to talk about why, uh, you know, with the projections. <laughs> but Derek Carr had a bounce back game last week, you know, uh, and he had to throw the ball only 26 times because the uh, the Saints were so dominant that they just didn't need him to throw the ball. I think it will be a little bit different this week. He'll have the opportunity to throw the ball more, and he's another week removed from that shoulder injury. So uh, 231, I am higher than the number of, I believe, 216. Yes. There we go. Guys, look at what we do. We can do with, with teamwork. I, teamwork has made this happen. So we've got higher on Kyron Williams, 56 and a half rushing yards, higher on 42 and a half rushing yards for Lamar Jackson, and a Freedman's favorite higher on Terry Carr, 216 passing yards. And I just want to remind everyone that you can use promo code LIFE and Underdog Fantasy is going to match your first deposit of up to $500, which is such a great thing that they're doing. UnderdogFantasy.com to go and check it out. But guys, that was our slip. And Marcus, I hope I hope you like that one. We got Friedman to take it over. I mean, it's amazing. It's like a, a Scott Stapp Creed song in here. Can you take me higher? Uh, you love to see it. Anyway, thank you, Kindle. Uh, as we get ready to round things out here on the show, that we have our prime time staff picks for week six. I will say that the schedule makers uh, didn't do us a whole lot of favors with the primetime games this week. Thursday night football, we got the Broncos at the Chiefs. Sunday night football is the Giants at the Bills. Monday night should be an interesting one, though, with the Cowboys and the Chargers. So we'll go around the horn. Dwayne, what do you like for the primetime games this week? Wow. This is a real primetime slate here. Um, who do you think I should take, Marcus? <laughs> Chiefs versus Broncos. I think I'll go with the Chiefs. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with the weather here. I know Friedman just mentioned there could be some weather, so maybe that dampens things a little bit. Maybe that helps the Broncos some. But wow, there are not enough ways to describe how bad the Broncos' defense is. Like, they can't tackle anyone. They rank last in that capacity. They're not really good at pressuring the passer against a team that wants to throw the ball a lot. So there's, I just can't find a reason to want to take the Broncos. And, and you know what? I probably shouldn't even try. So, yeah, we're going with the Chiefs in that one. And then we've got something very similar with the Giants and the Bills. We don't even know if we're going to see Daniel Jones. Um, we've got an offensive line that it probably doesn't matter who is playing for the Giants. They are just going to be running for their lives. It's really hard to put together any sort of actual offense. Uh, the Bills have shown up in some games with their defense, some games, you know, not as much. But this is a team that was able to limit the Miami offense. So I'm not really worried about what the Giants can do. We've got Josh Allen on the other side. So I could probably I probably just could have said Josh Allen and stopped. And then there's the Cowboys at the Chargers. And this one, I'm going to take the Cowboys. I really don't have a good reason why the Chargers have a better quarterback than Justin Herbert. They have better playmakers than the Cowboys overall. Now, the Cowboys do have the defense, but since when has defense won championships? Probably not like since my dad first <laughs> thought about maybe what is this thing called fantasy football. Um, so I just, I, I'm going with the Cowboys because I went with them last week and they got completely crushed and it was a complete embarrassment to me and my entire family. So I'm just going to double down and go with them <laughs> because it looks like everybody, well, Ian and Friedman, right? I'm going against them. So I'm, I'm going to do a Friedman thing. Uh, I'm going to try to gain some leverage here because, you know, I'm losing to Friedman and I need to make up a game. So probably the wrong game to do it on. Friedman will tell me that. All right. So uh, Dwayne trying to get some leverage and also the McFarland family pride is on the line uh, with the Cowboys here. Uh, Ian, what do you like this week? Chiefs and the Bills. I mean, yeah, you guys get it. So, yeah, Chargers and the Cowboys game is obviously the one that actually matters here. And I am going to lean towards Justin Herbert and company for a lot of the reasons that Friedman described earlier when talking about even the points with this one. So, yeah, sadly right now, Dak Prescott and this Cowboys offense, 28th in red zone touchdown rate. Last year, they were above 70% in the single best unit in the league in that facet. 
not all that surprising that Kellen Moore is a top 10 uh, offense over there in LA in terms of turning those red zone drives into touchdowns. So I still think, you know, Cowboys probably a bit better than we saw last week. How could they be any worse, obviously? But just again, looking at this matchup in particular, I'm not sure it was enough time between that terrible 49ers game for the Cowboys to get right against what has admittedly been a very good Chargers team. So shout out to Steven Ruiz over at the Ringer. He was uh, breaking down this Cowboys offense and he said that calling this a high school offense would be an insult to high school coaches uh, around the around the world because of what Mike McCarthy is doing to this group. So yeah, turns out guys, the head coach uh, taking play calling duties as a last gasp effort to keep his job isn't bringing out the results they desired. So maybe I'm a little too uh, glass half empty here versus Dwayne, but man, give me the Chargers. I was told Mike McCarthy spent the whole summer sleeping in the lobby at Pro Football Focus, so what do I know? Uh, so as for me, uh, like everybody else, I'm going to take the Chiefs and the Bills. One fun fact that I have learned this week, that uh, in four of five weeks, a running back has set his career high for fantasy points against the Broncos' defense. The one week it didn't happen was Khalil Herbert, who scored the second most fantasy points he's ever had in a game against the Broncos' defense. Uh, just a little note to remind you how bad that defense is. But Chiefs win. In there bills win on sunday night i'm gonna take the cowboys and this is not analytical at all but this is i think for me just a case of a team whose pride was severely wounded last week against the 49ers trying to prove to everybody that they aren't as ian said as bad as they looked last week so i know that's not necessarily the most scientific way of doing things but i think uh just sort of that pride factor gets the cowboys back on the winning side so uh friedman we'll send it to you to kind of round things out yeah, in the Freedman's Favorites article this week, I have multiple Chiefs and Bills players uh, highlighted there. So, you know, not, uh, not uh, you know, I'm not doing anything revolutionary to say I'm going with the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, and then I'm going with the Chargers. And although I'm not getting any uh, leverage on the field, as Dwayne might say, impersonating me, I am getting the emotional hedge where uh, <laughs> if the Cowboys win, then great, my team wins. And if they don't, then at least I picked the uh, the Chiefs, I mean, sorry, the Chargers here, and at least I bet on them. So uh, no matter how this plays out, uh, I win in, in some way. And I will say, uh, they also <laughs> have the superior play caller because they have Kellen Moore and not Mike McCarthy running the Texas Coast offense. So, uh, yes, give me the Chargers. Hey, man, there's a coast in Texas. I have been to the beach in Galveston. There is there is a coast down there uh, in Texas, if you want to call it that. So, uh, All right, so there we go. Those are our picks for the weekend, uh, and that will do it for this edition of the Fantasy Live Show. Thanks, of course, as always, to Matthew Barry and Golden Tate and to Kendall Valenzuela as well, and thanks to all of you for watching out there. For Ian Harditz, for Dwayne McFarland, for Matthew Friedman, I am Marcus Grant. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Enjoy the weekend, everybody, and we'll talk to you again real soon.